Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast. You're joining us for episode 81, and today we're talking about something that we see so often clinically, yet it's something that many of us consider just the norm or something we've been dealing with for so long that we don't even know it's an issue anymore. We're talking about insomnia. So this is one of the big areas that we assess in our initial session with clients, and we have a whole section of our intake that's actually dedicated to questions about sleep because it is just so important. Yet despite knowing how important it is, I think many of us are just kind of walking around as zombies, chronically sleep deprived. So we'll be talking about- What? Not me. <laughs> I know it's just it's just our our everyday. Um, I think this so, is both of our resolutions this year, Becky. That's why we I had know. To this, we had to put this episode out here so we can just speak the truth and become accountable. <laughs> I know I was debating whether or not to like put a check in in here on how we're doing, so we'll we'll address that for sure. Um, but today we'll we'll be talking all things insomnia. We'll be talking about root causes of insomnia, why it's more prevalent today than ever before. And we'll come up with some awesome food as medicine and supplement solutions to help you get a good night's sleep. Yes, I am so excited personally as well for today's episode, like I said, to just kind of speak it so I can have more levels and layers of accountability. And now that the anti-anxiety book is out, I feel like there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Although Brady, my husband always likes to call me out and say, you know, babe, the moment you, you get one task done, you layer another one. And a lot of you listening, I know are healthcare practitioners or are at some level of entrepreneurs or, you know, may just have a high demanding job. And the reality is, is that we spend a lot of time staring at screens. We spend a lot of time cramming in work hours beyond the nine to five. And I know for many of us that are driven by passion in our career, it can become very difficult to dissociate. Yes. I had a client call me out recently. So I was like, oh yeah, I'm really working on my sleep hygiene. Here's some things that I'm doing. And she goes, I'm getting emails from you at like 1am. So are you sure that you're sleeping? Like, thank you. Do you know what you just did there? That's calling out incongruencies and thank you for doing that. You would make a great practitioner. Exactly. So anyway, before we we dive into the meat of this episode, let's go ahead and share a couple of updates with listeners. Yeah. So this week is Paleo FX. I am super stoked to be doing a keynote lecture on the anti-anxiety diet. And uh, it will be a, I believe, around 30 minutes um, where I'll be talking about food as medicine and the six root causes of anxiety and how you can foundationally approach this and rebalance your neurotransmitters, reset your microbiome, heal your gut, and optimize your whole body functions. I'll be lecturing on that. 
Then I'll be doing a mastermind panel um, with a bunch of experts on the ketogenic diet. And um, we have a couple other events coming up throughout Texas as far as book signings. The book drops in uh, July, so wait to pre-order. We will be doing a big announcement for you guys because we'd love you all to pre-order in packs so that we can get better algorithms with Amazon, and that really helps us with our book ranking. So wait to pre-order the book, but definitely come see me and give me a hug and hello if you're at PaleoFX. And then come in June, um, get your tickets for KetoCon, which is also going to be in Austin, Texas, and is going to be bigger and better than last year, which is hard to imagine. It was an amazing conference. I'll be keynoting there as well, and uh, we will be there with Becky and her husband and my husband and vending, and um, we will have the Naturally Nourished Supplement line. I will be there signing books all of the fun things. So come say hello, get your tickets. We will have affiliate ticket links through today's show notes. And also you can direct message me on Allie Miller RD on Instagram or Facebook, and I'll be happy to send you a link. And when you purchase through those links, that supports me and my household and the Food is Medicine brand. Yes. And then also other reasons for not getting as much sleep as we should, right? <laughs> um, all the exciting things. Um, our virtual keto class is starting May 15th. So there are still some spots left to enroll. And at the time of recording, we've got spots left. So at the time of this actually going out, I'm sure there will be even less spots left. So get and your spot. Especially if you yes. wait till after paleo. Effect, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when I talk on the keto uh, panel and people get really motivated and, you know, want to sign up that day. So try to get them as this airs before the weekend comes because it will sell out. The last two rounds have sold out. And this round, we did take a six week hiatus. So Becky and I are going through all of the course materials, squeaky cleaning things. And um, I just now made a really fun new uh, keto smoothie. So we're adding a bunch of different new recipes and ideas and up-to-date information. So we're super stoked for you guys to join us. Yes. It is uh, $199 for the whole program, which is a 12-week program, six live classes, private Facebook group entrance, and um, engagement with Becky and myself. And then also, if you do the $199 ticket, you get a bundle of our two eBooks, EFAC Get Skinny and the Ketogenic Kickstart. So that's definitely the recommendation. You can do the 169 option as well. And that's just for the course materials. And that works fine too. Yes. Awesome and cost effective. And we see really, really good results. 50 plus pounds, hormonal balance, medication reduction, all kinds of awesome, awesome benefits from this program. So go over and sign up, check out the show notes for a link to that, or just go to Allie Miller RD, click on books and programs, and you can go straight to the ketosis class page there. All right. Let's get into this sleep yes. talk, girl. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to put it off as long as possible here. Okay. I know. So, um, let's cover the basics real quick, Allie. So how would we define insomnia? Because I think that term is thrown around a lot, but let's just pin it down. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of people that deal with sleep disorders or are waking, not feeling rested, maybe don't want to diagnose or put themselves sure. in that category. But basically insomnia is a sleep disorder and it's characterized by difficulty falling asleep and or difficulty staying asleep. So people with insomnia may have difficulty winding down or shutting down. If it takes you more than 30 minutes of tossing and turning, that's one of the signs for sure. And then if you're waking up during the middle of the night, a lot of our clients will be like, oh, it's that 2 or 3 a.m. window. 
I always get up and it's not just waking to urinate and going back to bed with ease. It's waking up and then feeling restless or having a difficult time winding back down. And then also maybe waking up too early in the morning. So if your circadian rhythm is off and you're getting up at 4 a.m. every morning and then, you know, you kind of lie around or start scrolling your phone for an hour and a half or something and you really want to be getting up at like 6 a.m., that would be even another sign. And that early morning rising often definitely gets overlooked as a sign of insomnia. So those three, um, falling asleep, staying asleep, or waking too early is in basic terms insomnia. And chronic insomnia or true diagnosis occurs when this happens at least three nights a week and for a month, a period of three months or longer. Yes. So let's get into just the rates of insomnia because I think people don't realize how common this is and it's a huge issue. Yeah. I mean, it's estimated it's, it continues to rise just like anxiety and depression in America. Uh-huh. And there is a lot of connections. Today's show should hopefully connect as far as the stress and blue light. Um, but definitely we see over 40% of Americans suffering from insomnia on a daily basis. And I know because of a lovely Leanne Vogel and Healthful Pursuit, we hear you too, Canadians. We don't mean to cut you out. <laughs> we know a lot of you guys are listening too. I don't know the stats, but I'm sure it's high for you all too. Um, but we're seeing about 40% um, of people that are experiencing insomnia on a daily basis. And according to the National Center for Sleep Disorders, over 10 to 15% of people deal with this chronically on a daily basis. And another staggering statistic is the World Health Organization considers shift work or sleep deprivation as the only non-substance carcinogen known to man. So essentially, you know, this is not a chemical, right? It's not a cigarette. It's not asbestos or mold um, or something that's an additive per se. But this is a influence, a carcinogenic influence on our genome. Genome, excuse me. So the lack of sleep or the presence of insomnia can actually damage your genetic expression and disrupt cellular metabolic processes. And we've talked with the role of fasting and the role of sleep and how that's when your cells do their best housekeeping and cleaning. So cancer risk is definitely increased if you're not sleeping because your surveillance system is not able to do that dusting and cleaning effect. Yeah, so that's just totally scary and and reason enough to try to get that sleep. We're going to slap each other on the wrist at the end of this episode. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I think it goes without saying that this issue is on the rise, but let's talk about, Ali, why you think that is. What is it with our modern day lifestyle that is causing this dynamic rise in insomnia? So I, number one, is going to be stress levels, you know, and, and feeling always on and never being able to disconnect. The increase of technology has greatly increased, they say hundred times fold, decades at a time. Um, our feeling of a need to stay oh on it, you know, per se. And so whether it's emails coming in as a practitioner like you and I, or whether it is, you know, updates from your boss or feeling like you have to relate to the world market in different time zones because you now have that accessibility, um, or whether it's checking and staying connected on social media, which can often still be disconnecting. Um, we always feel we need to be on and this rising stress trends with cortisol as well and cortisol imbalance in the body. So Chronic stress can influence um, 
on a mental level, so actual stress demand. Um, it could also be a chronic stress based on illness or infection. Um, it can play a role with even things like our uh, dysbiosis or gut bacteria can be chronic stress again. Remember, we've talked about that in last episode about the stress thyroid connection. And stress in general, whether it's internal or external, is going to increase demand of cortisol and our epinephrine, otherwise known as adrenaline. So when our cortisol and adrenaline get out of balance, this puts a huge demand on our adrenal glands and can drive dysfunction in our cortisol rhythm. So at nighttime, ideally, we're supposed to have a rise of melatonin, which plays a good check and balance for our cortisol expression. So melatonin is that natural hormone that keeps us asleep, and melatonin is actually able to offset or balance out our cortisol and epinephrine. But on the other end, if the cortisol and epinephrine are so high, they can counteract our melatonin, our melatonin production and expression. So there's definitely a synergy effect that we're starting to see here, and we see direct anti-cancer benefits from the use of melatonin. So the first stage of defense, of course, for cancer prevention is optimizing your sleep, and that in itself can lower the risk of this carcinogen. But again, the idea here as a risk factor is that stress and cortisol hormone can suppress melatonin, and that can drive imbalanced circadian rhythm, or peaks in cortisol in the middle of the night that wake us up, or cortisol cascade rising too early, waking us too early in the day. So stress is the first thing for sure. Yes. And then another thing that plays a huge role with inhibiting melatonin is our artificial light exposure. Blue less, light. Yeah. <laughs> let's talk about that one. And, and less sun exposure during the day as well, because I think a lot of us are guilty. Yeah. <laughs> so when we don't get sun exposure, sun actually has a huge role in our melatonin production. So getting sun during the day and then having that sun go down is actually what is supposed to help our cascade of our melatonin productivity. Um, and this is definitely connected because there's a connection of serotonin and melatonin. And we think of like seasonal depressive disorder when the sun isn't out connected to feeling depressed or anxious. So there's definitely a connection there. So working indoors and then working with technology with artificial blue light, both in our like halogen lights and our ceilings, as well as the screen lights everywhere. So whether we're watching TV or we're staring at a screen or we're scrolling on that phone, that's going to suppress our melatonin expression. And we constantly now have this technology exposure and that excessive blue light exposure. So definitely a big thing to watch. And we'll talk about solutions of that coming up reliance on stimulants such as caffeine. So when you wake up feeling tired because you slept like crap, then you're going to kind of over-caffeinate and that only perpetuates the cycle. So stimulants such as caffeine can definitely affect you from falling asleep. Um, there's a half-life of caffeine of up to eight hours. So especially if you're going for a second cup of coffee or consuming caffeine after 10 a.m., you're going to have a really difficult time falling asleep before, you know, 10 p.m. really, um, in some cases. That would be 12 hours, I know, but still, the metabolism is different in individuals. So we like to definitely cut off caffeine by noon. And then there are disorders that influence sleep as well. So if we have thyroid disorders, if we're dealing with chronic pain, if we're dealing with uh, severe reflux or heartburn, 
Uh, and sleep apnea, of course, is one of the tightest connections that we would associate with lack of sleep. And then there are medications as well. So beyond the disorders and the caffeine and the blue light and the cortisol, there's definitely going to be medications like antidepressants, corticosteroids for allergies, like Flonase even can play a role, which is a nasal spray. That can play a role. Prednisone, so steroid packs or taking a steroid for uh, autoimmune disease and inflammatory conditions can definitely interfere. And then some blood pressure medications as well, because a lot of the blood pressure medications also work on mechanisms in the adrenal glands and that can throw off our cortisol. So, so many things that can have an influence on our sleep. And, and probably if you were to look at your typical day listeners, we could check the box on at least two of these, um, if not more. And, and I would add to this uh, alcohol use as well. So I yeah. think that plays a huge role with disrupted sleep. I see um, in a lot of uh, my clients and, and myself as well. I was well. going to say, and, I call it the, the wind me up and shut me down. Uh-huh. And it's the wind me up with the caffeine and shut me down with the alcohol. It's, it's yeah. the, the coffee and wine um, synergy or chicken and egg effect, I guess, is, is more the vicious cycle. So yeah. absolutely. And alcohol, absolutely, because we can get where the liver focuses on detoxification as the priority. And so we get dysregulation in our blood sugar metabolism. Because remember, your liver is also supposed to regulate blood sugar during fasting. And if your liver is focusing on detox, you can get drops in blood pressure, which is why, excuse me, blood sugar. And that's why a lot of people, if they drink too much wine or drink too much period, they're going to have like um, night sweats or kind of like shakiness or wake up in the middle of the night or feel very restless when they sleep. Yep. 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 Um, so let's talk. It's never happened. It's never happened to me. Never. I don't wake up at you know five a.m. and have to answer emails after <laughs> too much wine. Well, then um, I think there's the guilt and shame with it too. Like, sure, I'm too old for this. <laughs> Why am I doing this? Old for this? Let me let me just get up and answer five a.m. emails and feel Take like a I shower and pretend I'm a human at all. Yeah. <laughs> don't do that. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about um, stages of the sleep cycle, because I know we've all heard about the importance of REM sleep, for example, but I think a lot of people are confused about what that actually means. And, and even, you know, we see on like our Fitbit trackers and things yeah. that track sleep. It tells us how much deep sleep and light sleep and REM sleep we're getting, but let's talk about what that all means. Which for the record, I personally am not a fan of those types of things. I've had a couple clients that have experienced some <laughs> funky neuropathy and strange, especially with breast tissue sensations with those bands. And I just feel like, yes, there's no blue light on there, but there's definitely an electronic influence. And all of this like biohacking technology it comes down to less is more, like most things do. Man cannot outsmart nature. And it might be important to get some stats, but on a daily basis, I really think removing as many computer parts <laughs> from your body um, is yeah. really helpful. <laughs> FYI, just saying. So getting back to like grounding and walking in nature and seeing sunshine, definitely more of a tool. Anyway, there are five stages of sleep. So stage one is when you're preparing to drift off. Stage two is when your brainwave activity becomes rapid and rhythmic and your body temperature starts to drop and your heart rate slows. Stage three is when deep, slow brainwaves emerge. So this is the transition from light sleep into deep sleep, transitional stage three. 
Stage four is known as the delta sleep. So this is going to be the, the deep stage of sleep. And then stage five is the rapid eye movement or REM sleep. And this is where dreaming occurs. Uh, most people go through about five to six cycles of REM each night, or that's optimal for certain. And um, this is when the brain is most active. Our heart rate and blood pressure actually increase. Our breathing is irregular and or shallow. And it plays a role in learning, memory function, neuroplasticity, consolidation and processing of information. And we actually even see storage and, and uh, storage of memory or enhanced cognitive function during that REM cycle. Stages three and four include slow wave sleep. So again, those are the deep sleep, three being the transitional and then four also being more of the deeper set sleep. And those are really important as well. These are the ones that help to reduce our cortisol and reduce our inflammation. And it plays a really important role in our immunological system. It actually helps our immune system as a surveillance system to recall or remember pathogens or bad bacteria or foreign um, compounds that don't belong in our body. And that plays a big role with upregulating our immune army in the battle throughout the rest of our following days. That last piece is just so cool to me. That's not something I had made a connection on before. Is that actually internalization into immunological memory versus just, oh, sleep's good for your immune system. So it's get important. this. Yeah. Like as a practitioner, you might do like two rounds of a cleanse, you know, like if we're doing stool testing and someone's dealing with severe SIBO and, you know, they've done our, maybe a candida cleanse and then they're doing XYZ. If they're not sleeping and they're not practicing fasting, those two things alone can interfere with a successful cleanse because you can't just feed the compounds that eradicate and kill. Your immune system has to do a part of the puzzle as well. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. Totally mind yeah. blowing. <laughs> um, so let's talk a little bit about the negative effects of sleep deprivation. And I think, you know, some of us are all too familiar with a couple of these. I was going to say beyond, beyond cancer and right, <laughs> your right. immune system not working. Yeah. <laughs> there's more. There's um, more. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there's definitely an increased risk of diabetes, developing diabetes. We see accelerated aging. We see within accelerated aging, slower mental acuity and more brain fog, as well as reduced memory and cognitive function across the board. As mentioned, we see an increased risk of cancer and decreased immune function. We also see higher weight in general, um, and we tend to see more uh, rates of obesity as well because we don't metabolize as well. We actually burn the most calories in that REM cycle of sleeping than we would even during some active forms of exercise. So weight gain is huge. We can see also poor physical performance. We don't get as much repair of tissues, of muscle. All of that occurs optimized in that immunological reset time of deep qualitative sleep. And then we can see within that world more susceptibility to injuries. Um, and overall, we tend to see higher risk of mortality or death. Um, so beyond you know, the, the cardiometabolic influence of blood pressure, because that's a big connection with the cortisol not resetting, we can see blood pressure, blood sugar, and other cardiovascular drivers, um, which definitely trend with heart attack. Um, and sleep deprivation is one of the number one causes that we see as a strong trend 
in, in heart disease, maybe even more so than cholesterol. Ooh, but don't that, tell American the drug industry that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh. So are you guys scared yet? Um, <laughs> let's take it to a positive note and talk about what some of the benefits seen with ample sleep are and what happens during sleep that's so important in terms of prevention of all of these disease states. Yeah. So, you know, we've, we've referenced this, like I said, in the fasting episode, cellular repair. So sleep is so important for our cellular repair, both physiologically and psychologically. Somewhere between 10 a.m. and 2 p.m., we see the most physiological repair. And um, we typically see this in the bones, tendons, joints, and ligaments. Um, and this is going to be seen between, excuse me, 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. I was like, that doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so we see a lot of this happening between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. And that's more of a physiological influence. And also, again, with the metabolic role, we see our HGH to drive, which is that human growth hormone, which is what's going to drive up our metabolism. Um, cellular repair, taking that further more on an immunological level, we go through that process of autophagy or autophagy, however you like to pronounce it, tomato, tomato. But autophagy is that ability for our immune system to upregulate its macrophages or the cells that can eat away at dysfunctional elements of the cells and actually digest and recycle the functional parts so that we have more cellular functionality, basically better, cleaner, functional system. And that repair mechanism occurs during that stage four and or stage five, uh, somewhere between three through five on an in and out of our deep qualitative sleep and REM cycles. We also see a huge hit on our neurotransmitters and our sexual hormones. So on a neurotransmitter level, we often see that connection of serotonin and melatonin. Um, And so when we are in qualitative sleep, we are going to be able to produce more neurotransmitters. And that in turn helps with mental health because mental health is less distressed, which burns through neurotransmitters less. So we both manufacture and and don't over-demand neurotransmitters when we get better qualitative sleep. Um, And in fact, there was a study that was done connecting even sexual hormone function by uh, Brigham's Women in 2003, and it found a link in night shift workers and decreased melatonin production and breast cancer risk. Uh, So it definitely found a strong connection in estrogen metabolism elevating, so excessive estrogen levels based on deficiency or low levels of melatonin. And then they have even seen men with moderate sleep problems having two times the risk of developing prostate cancer. So there's definitely a sexual hormone connection where melatonin seems to balance out estrogen excess and progesterone balance. And then weight loss is a big positive as well of sleep. As I mentioned, your resting metabolic rate um, is going to be optimized in the REM cycles and that HGH, the human growth hormone, which ups our skeletal muscle mass, which helps composition change to increase our lean body mass. On a hormone level, we've actually seen also that sleep can help with our leptin and our glucose metabolism, and that's that trend with diabetic risk. So when we get good qualitative sleep, we get better leptin activity, which is that satiation hormone, and we get better blood sugar management in the body, and that's independent of diet. So when we get sleep deprivation, we see higher cortisol and higher ghrelin, and ghrelin is that hunger hormone. So 
qualitative sleep ups the leptin of satisfaction and supports healthy blood sugar metabolism. And then Finally, this connects further with the consumption or intake because if we're satiated, we tend to see improvements with uh, not going for that external pleasure seeking. A lot of people eat based on fatigue, truly, um, and a lot of people eat um, based on lack of leptin. So when we get balanced neurotransmitters, balanced hormonal expression from qualitative sleep, we tend to have less of that uphill escalator run of a downhill escalator where we're not over-muscling or willpowering our food decisions. We actually feel better, we have less cravings, less hunger, and we get to stay on track with optimal eating. So that's a big piece of the weight and metabolism research as well. Yes, and it's amazing how these pieces of the puzzle, you know, we could be expressing one or all of these conditions or, or situations or, or symptoms. And what's at the root of that is just, oh, we're not getting enough sleep. So we're not, you know, metabolizing our neurotransmitters or hormones. And, and by getting that sleep, we could optimize function just like that. And I, I think, think so simple. <laughs> can't say enough on the cancer stuff because I think that that the C word is very scary. And I think that there's such an intimate connection, you know, so one of the kind of nerdy mechanisms again is when we're sleeping, our immune system releases cytokines and these help our body actually to sleep more. Um, and these also are on increase when we have inflammation or an infection. So we think of things like cytokines and prostaglandins and interleukins, and these are inflammatory mediators. But cytokines specifically actually help to protect our body and upregulate that battle environment. Um, and so when we're getting qualitative sleep, our immune system is, optim is optimized, excuse me. And we've seen um, in the Journal of Cancer Research, when we have sleep disruption and cytokine production is hindered, we have a significant increase of cancer risk and tumorigenic activity. So there was a professor, David Gozal, that actually said, it's not the tumor, it's the immune system. And so if we can support the immune system you know, through qualitative sleep, we're going to be enhancing that surveillance activity and the fighting activity. And that pairs with that autophagy again, which helps that cellular recycling to remove the damaged, faulty equipment in our body. And it can potentially even stop cancer expression, insulin resistance, infections, heart disease, Alzheimer's, inflammation, and even aging. So we can feel better in our body across the board, physically, mentally, and on a health risk base by getting qualitative sleep. Okay. So if we haven't hammered home enough, guys, this is really important. And we're, <laughs> we're right there with you um, yes. in terms of that, how to make it happen. But let's start to talk um, about some of the areas that we might want to explore if we're looking for a root cause of insomnia. So let's talk about neurotransmitter imbalance because I know you alluded to serotonin. Yeah. Serotonin relationship. Let's talk a little bit about that. Sure. And we'll, we'll nerd out deep down the rabbit hole on melatonin. So I'll leave melatonin B on the side for a moment, but serotonin and GABA, let's talk. So there are excitatory and inhibitory neurotransmitters. Inhibitory are what I call your mellower outers, essentially. So serotonin and GABA, with GABA actually being the most dominant inhibitory neurotransmitters. I have so much in the anti-anxiety diet book about the function of GABA, and I have really 
created a like love affair with GABA <laughs> in the process because it plays such a role in dampening excessive nerve impulse in the body. We think of GABA as kind of the star of the show with like Parkinson's disease where we get tremors. GABA can help with neurological impulse and reducing that excessive or excitatory nerve activity. Um, and we see that GABA is about 30% lower in people with insomnia con compared to people that have good qualitative sleep. So our body actually gets depleted from GABA when we are dealing with lack of restful sleep or lack of qualitative sleep, um, and GABA would be on a higher demand. So GABA helps to reduce the excitatory stress-responding chemicals like our epinephrine that I mentioned earlier or adrenaline, if you will, and helps us to find that mellow so that we can get into sleep and stop the rumination or racing thoughts and stop the physiological excessive activity in the body. And then glutamate actually can work in opposing balance to GABA. So there's a GABA-glutamate ratio that we look at. Glutamate is an ex excitatory neurotransmitter, but it can actually be converted into GABA when paired with the right nutritional balance. Um, so focusing on optimizing your GABA can be one piece of the puzzle. And serotonin is extremely important as well. Uh, if serotonin is deficient, your body will have a very difficult time with melatonin function because serotonin is the precursor or the building block to produce melatonin. Sometimes the root cause is reduction of serotonin. And like I mentioned, that could be mediated by different medications like an SSRI. So Prozac, for instance, um, you know, any of these uh, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors over time can dampen or reduce your serotonin expression and or drive depletion. That in turn can hinder the metabolism or the production of melatonin and that can play a huge role with sleep. So optimizing your serotonin can help with your anxiety and stress and fatigue during the day, and then also help with production of the melatonin at night. Awesome. And then that's just serotonin and, and GABA and glutamate. So there's more. Um, so let's talk about hormones a little bit and even the influence of hot flashes, because I know this is um, certainly a cause of insomnia or a cause of that night waking and not being able to get back to sleep for many clients. Yeah, and hot flash is often the, the thing that most people think of right away is estrogen, but that's not often the case. Uh, hot flashes can be based on both estrogen and progesterone drops in the body. And the progesterone connection is so much more intimately related to sleep quality and also cognitive function and also fluid retention and so many other imbalanced symptoms that we see in our women from that 40 to 60 age window. So progesterone in itself can be a cause of sleep deprivation or insomnia because it actually works with GABA channels in the brain. It effectively opens up the GABA channels so that GABA can be expressed better. And I certain, as someone that openly uses a bioidentical progesterone cream, I wait for day 12 of my cycle because I know I'm going to have a much more relaxing or deep sleep. And actually, I'm, I'm mindful of that when, when I supplement with melatonin and I know that I have a higher need of melatonin when I am not using progesterone or when my progesterone is not naturally going to be elevated with the timing of my cycle. So food for thought there. Um, and hot flashes in general can awaken your brain from sleep. Remember I mentioned as you go into the deeper levels of sleep, until you get into the REM cycle, you actually get a change in a drop of body temperature um, and lower blood pressure. 
And so hot flashes can actually physiologically disrupt the brain from transitioning into that deep qualitative sleep because they drive a surge of adrenaline and also that, that temperature change, which is going to be accompanied with sweating and physiological discomfort, tossing and turning, and not allowing the body to get into those deeper qualitative stages. So looking into, especially if you're in a stage of uh, you aren't cycling regularly as a woman, or you're in a perimenopausal time, or you're in a postpartum time, if you're dealing with insomnia, start with hormones first, for sure. Yes. Look into our Neurohormone Complete Plus panel, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes that also assesses your neurotransmitters like yes. the serotonin and GABA and glutamate that we already talked about. And epinephrine and cortisol. Yes. Yes. All the things. All <laughs> Pretty the things. much. Pretty much. Yep. Um, so what about sleep changes with keto? I just kind of want to throw this in there because this is one I hear a lot. Yeah, yeah. Clients, whether they may be getting deeper sleep in keto, but then seeming like they need less sleep and they're waking up at like a random time or they're getting that cortisol spike waking at like 4 a.m. when they're a couple months into keto. Yeah, so ketosis actually can increase cortisol expression. This is generally based on the liver's metabolism, not on a mechanism of ketone production driving cortisol production. So just to be clear on that, but when your body is metabolizing fat as fuel, uh, the liver can sometimes upregulate the breakdown of cortisol because the liver is kind of ramping up and the liver member is the same organ that is making ketones. So the function of the liver can play a big role on cortisol metabolism and that can be seen to be thrown off during a ketogenic diet. And it depends on how deep you are, whether it's at your third month in or getting into, but definitely that can play a role. So there is a cortisol ketosis connection, and that's likely one of the big pieces. Another thing to make note is remember when you're using fat as fuel, your adipocytes or your fat cells have estrogenic properties. So if you've lost your first 10% of your body weight and you're losing predominantly from fat, you're probably circulating excessive estrogen in your body. And that in turn can lower the progesterone. And this is for men too. Men make estrogen and progesterone at all as well. So if we're getting excessive estrogen expression and lower relative progesterone expression, that can be hindering that influence with the GABA. So, you know, we may want to look into something like our ultimate detox formula if we don't want to test hormones right away and we just want to support our body, Ultimate Detox is a great way to not aggressively lower estrogen, but Ultimate Detox can help with regulating that metabolism of the cortisol metabolites and the estrogen metabolites and help your body in conjugating or basically gathering and excreting those hormonal influences of fat loss. So that's a really important note to make for sure. Um, and we'll put a note of the ultimate detox for that reason. And then the other thing that we would look at is the potential need for leptin reset. So as we've discussed with episode 75 on carb cycling, definitely check that out if you're doing keto and you haven't heard it. Um, you know, leptin hormone plays a big role on, as I mentioned, satiation or satisfaction and quality sleep enhances leptin. Well, just like with insulin, we generally go from leptin resistance to leptin sensitivity. And this is where the keto high occurs with ketosis, where we feel awesome. We have no appetite. We don't, we, we can go a day without eating and not experience any true hunger. But over time, all of a sudden, six months in, eight months in, all of a sudden we might be getting hangry. 
where we're getting irritable, we're feeling hungry, and it seems like it's not working anymore. And that might be because we went from leptin sensitivity all the way out to ringing that out into leptin deficiency. So personally, I've looked at my leptin as of recent, and I like to keep in the blood leptin levels around 8 to 11. Um, and my leptin is currently as a baseline of five. Now my percent body fat is also quite low. So, you know, I'm using the ketogenic diet more for optimizing my hormones, also optimizing as an anti-inflammatory tool and, um, you know, the benefits on the cognitive level. So I'm someone with that level of low leptin that needs to participate in carb cycling to get beneficial across the board influence of keto on other mechanisms beyond appetite, also on quality of sleep and getting all these pieces of the puzzle in check. Yes. And if you're totally confused about what we're talking about with carb cycling and leptin, we just did a whole episode. 75. 75. Thank you. I was going to say, I'm not sure which one. 75. <laughs> burned in, so it was a good number. <laughs> yep. And, and it's a really good one that goes deep into those mechanisms and how leptin plays a role with resetting sleep, resetting hunger, resetting hormones, et cetera. So dig into that one if that sounds like you for sure. Yep. So the things you might consider if you're doing keto and you've gotten sleep disturbance is ultimate detox as a supplement to help to metabolize the cortisol and potential estrogen that's being released from your body's fat metabolism. That in turn also can boost your metabolism further. So cool thing there. And then again, you might also consider carb cycling. Yes. Okay, so now let's talk a little bit about the traditional or allopathic approach to sleep disorders. Because if yes. you have someone dealing with insomnia, chances are we've been prescribed or it's been suggested to try one of these medications. Yeah, so I'm, I'm so happy to talk about this. So some of the most popular are um, Ambien and Lunesta, and these are both classified as sedative hypnotics. And then the other medication world is benzos, um, which are going to be sedatives as well. And benzos can be prescribed for anxiety and or sleep disorders. So, you know, these both classifications of drugs can have a lot of dependency issues. Um, we can see waking up in the middle of the night. Um, and we, that's why now there's an extended release of Ambien, um, which can help with sleeping later, but we're not sure still what levels and cycles of sleep are achieved. Um, and, uh, we can see this causing dysfunction and dependency. So we can get grogginess, um, in the day, even post use. Um, we can see kind of that like hungover or brain fog or fuzziness feeling, problems with memory and concentrating. We can see an increase of anxiety and depression or overall nervous feeling. We can have headaches, nausea, stomach pain, loss of appetite, constipation. So there's definitely a parasympathetic response from that overdrive on the sympathetic expression. We can see also things like dry mouth, which would also tie into that sympathetic nervous system and antidiuretic hormone expression. Um, we can see a shift with dermatological function like skin rashing. And the bigger concern that I see is um, the influence of them being hypnotics after all and how they can influence mood and memory. Um, so I have a lot of patients that deal with like chronic binge eating in the middle of the night and won't remember um, or won't be conscious of consumption. So this is things that are going to be, you know, consumed during times of, um, you know, blackout essentially. <laughs> They're eating in a blacked out state um, and they just 
recognized by presence of rappers or something like that. So we can see that. We can see auditory and visual hallucinations, which can drive panic disorder and also anxiety, um, where people actually can see patterns, objects, lights, or experience actually people that aren't really there. So that can further drive mental disorders. Um, and we saw that uh, there are higher risks in general of mortality, some related to motor vehicle incidents, some related from brain fog, and some related from just that fogginess of, 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 of function um, on a day-to-day -day basis. And the issue is that, is that there's a high, high dependency rate. And we saw 35% higher risk of cancer in people that use this drug. And I didn't get a stat, but I know that there's also a higher risk of dementia, substantial high risk of dementia and Alzheimer's with use of these drugs. Yeah, so some really scary stuff. That's not something that we want to be relying on on you know a daily basis. And I think it has to be said, these medications are not usually intended for daily use, but they end up becoming used daily and then we have to prescribe more and more and it's just a vicious cycle. Absolutely. So let's switch back into um, upstream can, medicine. Upstream medicine. So instead of taking the Ambien, the Lunesta, or the Benzos, what could we do instead in terms of optimizing our micronutrient status? Because I think, yeah, you know, even thinking, start. yeah, even thinking like magnesium, that's definitely a big one with insomnia. And I think of this one, especially if it's combined with like irritability of, of muscles, uh, like restless leg or something like that. Sure, sure. And, and I, I love starting with micronutrients because we can, with upstream versus downstream medicine, you know, we're not blocking one pathway with a drug. We're actually creating optimal expression of that nutrient, which like you said, has multifactorial influence in the body. So let's just highlight a couple. <laughs> but one of the big ones, since you mentioned magnesium, let's start there. So magnesium is a great place to start as far as um, helping with neuromuscular relaxation, helping with the metabolism of our cortisol. So it actually can reduce excessive cortisol. It also can help us to get into those deeper levels of qualitative sleep, and it can mimic the action of melatonin for someone that has melatonin depletion. So for those of us that have suppression of melatonin because we didn't get outside or we didn't shut down the blue light late at night, magnesium can be the best way to help in synergy that relaxation and expression. So that's my first line of defense, and that's why one of my first private labeled supplements was the Relax and Regulate Powder, and it's just a phenomenal product that has magnesium bisglycinate, which is the most bioavailable form for neuromuscular function. So that's going to help to enhance all of those things. The next thing that I would think to is a mineral, and I would go to zinc, and it is no coincidence that zinc deficiency is also associated with anxiety. So zinc plays a huge role, especially the zinc and copper relationship in sleep quality and depth of sleep. So zinc and copper are going to interfere with receptors in the brain that regulate our sleep and also mood stability. So if zinc is low, we have more anxiety, which means we have more epinephrine, more cortisol, more fight or flight activity, which suppresses our relaxation, right? Um, so getting zinc back up to optimal stage is important. And other symptoms of zinc deficiency can be things like hair loss. We can also see taste changes and adversions. And then we can also see fatigue beyond the insomnia. So 
Zinc would be a big one as well. We like to look at chelated forms of minerals. And I think later in today's show notes, we're going to talk about food as medicine, right, Becky? So I'll, I'll wait on that. Yes. And we've got some supplements to do awesome. this all together. Okay, good, good, good. And then B vitamins, I would touch on for sure. B vitamins play a huge role on the expression of our neurotransmitters. So a lot of these work as cofactors or activators of neurotransmitters like our like our serotonin um, helps further in the conversion into melatonin can help with GABA expression um, particularly we see a big influence with actually thiamine or B1 remember that thiamine can get depleted by alcohol consumption so another connection there of how alcohol use at bed can drive down that influence um, and then things like niacin um, B3 can enhance our REM that rapid eye movement qualitative sleep. Niacin also can have a benefit on conversion of serotonin, which can help with the anxiety throughout the day and the quality of sleep at night. Um, and then B12 even can play a big role in our circadian rhythm. So this can help with our sleep and wake cycles. Um, it could also help, of course, with neuropathy or um, neurological impulse. Awesome. So lots of things to look into in terms of micronutrients. And, and if this sounds like an area you want to explore, definitely check out our micronutrient panel. I'll link to that in our show notes from today. Awesome. Um, so let's get back into the influence of melatonin, because I think there's a lot here that people probably haven't heard about before. So yeah. let's talk about just pros and cons and, yeah. and really what melatonin is and and how that conversion from serotonin happens let's just go down the rabbit hole sure and and you know i'll, I'll share my personal experience with melatonin too which is um and I, I think it's interesting. <laughs> anyway, so uh, melatonin is a hormone. It's, it's secreted by the pineal gland in the brain, and its synthesis and release are stimulated by darkness and suppressed by light, right? We also mentioned how daylight, natural sunlight, helps with melatonin and melatonin circadian rhythm, right? So generally speaking, that, that personal clock or that natural rhythm of the body, melatonin is supposed to be suppressed by light and the blue light, the artificial light of your computer screen and TV are the most dynamic suppressors of melatonin. Be mindful of that. So melatonin is built from serotonin, which is a neurotransmitter, and serotonin is built from tryptophan. Um, and this also occurs in that pineal gland where serotonin is going to be processed to yield melatonin. And uh, this occurs in the brain, basically. Okay. Um, we see that this synthesis, um, there's a, a, a kind of conversion intermediary chemical. So from tryptophan to serotonin is 5-hydroxytryptophan, otherwise known as 5-HTP. Once we have active serotonin, there's another intermediary compound called acetyl serotonin. And this is the intermediary or middle compound between melatonin and serotonin, acetyl serotonin. And we actually see that acetyl serotonin itself has antidepressant, anti-aging, and cognitive enhancing benefits. So getting your brain to do the work on its own definitely has benefits over using supplemental melatonin on the forefront. That's something to mention. 
Generally speaking, the brain should start to produce melatonin around 9 p.m. after the sun has set. So there's the natural change in, in um, the lighting, and then hopefully the lighting change in your bedroom eventually starts to happen around that time as well, 9 or 10. Um, melatonin increases sharply, and that can actually help you to kind of feel groggy or sleepy, and that's also why lighting, dimming lights and things like that can help you to feel more restful. Um, and if your body's running as it should, melatonin should remain elevated while you sleep for about 10 to 12 hours. And then melatonin drops by around 9 a.m., so probably after you've woken up, and it should be barely detectable throughout the day. Um, I mentioned that melatonin is a really crucial hormone for reproductive health, so it does play a role actually also as a biofeedback in controlling the cycling and the release of female reproductive hormones. It helps to decide when a woman menstruates, um, the frequency and length of cycles, and when a woman stops menstruating, and that's one of the connections of why women's cycles follow the moon per se. Um, so really kind of interesting there. And young children, because they require more sleep for neuroplasticity and the function of brain development, are going to have the highest levels of nighttime melatonin. Um, and then over time, as we age, our natural melatonin production, like many things, reduces with age. And this is why it can be more difficult for elderly population to fall asleep. And this is why many times in the elderly population, melatonin is a fantastic recommendation as an intervention. So it can also be used in pill form as a, a treatment tool for insomnia. However, with that being said, we also like to address the root cause. So the converters, the nutrients, and the drivers of dysfunction, of course. Melatonin can then be used short-term for things like jet lag, and even can be used as an adjuvant for cancer care, which is really awesome, up-to-date research. Um, and then we, we've seen it specifically in benefit with both breast and prostate cancers at even higher amounts because of the hormonal influence on top of the cancer mechanisms. We can see caffeine, alcohol, and tobacco all lowering melatonin, as well as night shift work, um, and people that have, uh, again, more screen time exposure. When we're talking about using it as a supplement, ranges can go all the way up to 10 plus milligrams, but I recommend starting with 0.5 upwards of five milligrams. So our sleep factors formula is at three milligrams for two tablets. And personally, when I'm using melatonin, I find very good outcomes from 1.5 milligrams or one tablet of the sleep factors. And I um, had not used melatonin forever. Uh, my first time using it actually was when I moved to Austin. And one of the reasons, uh, a couple of reasons, but one of the reasons why I finally surrendered, and I think it was a very good call, is that we still have not invested in window treatments. And <laughs> in theory, I would just go to like Target or Home Depot. And I, I, I mean, I, I literally keep bumping it in my to-do list, but I could just get those like ready shades to just tape up. And I, I need to just do that. I know. Um, but we don't have window treatments and we have these huge windows. I think that one is a, a more than seven feet wide window and it overlooks the hill country in Austin. Well, it, we also are getting a sunset <laughs> and we are close enough to downtown Austin that we do get some city lights. Um, so I, our room is never pitch dark and um, I found that to be extremely disruptive and even with everything else. And then I also had the stress of writing a book and being on my computer probably until midnight, unfortunately, on a lot of evenings. Um, 
So I did personally start using it. And as I mentioned, what I do is, especially if I'm not using my bioidentical progesterone cream, I preemptively will take that 1.5 milligram, which is one tablet of our sleep factors uh, supplement. Um, and that's my kind of tool that I use. So I'll do that days one through 11 of my cycle. And then it depends on if I'm in days 12 through 28 on how high the stress level is and, or, you know, how much I really need that. It's, it's called sleep support by apology, not sleep factors. Yes. How much I really need <laughs> that, that sleep support. Um, and I find that anything over 1.5 milligrams makes me feel a little stony in the morning or a little bit hazy. So I really like to keep within the 1.5 with the one tablet. And I find that CBD all also is a great tool in conjunction with that. Awesome. So, and those blackout shades make all the difference. We invested in just some, you know, mid-grade ones from Target and they make a huge, huge difference. I'm so jealous. I use an eye pillow, but it always falls off. I need to just get one of those cheapo eye masks that has the band because I use like a lavender eye pillow, which helps me fall asleep in deep sleep. I also just bought a pair of blue blocker glasses. So I'm excited about that too. And I know you've had them <laughs> forever, Becky. Um, so I, I'm excited to see how that'll shift as well. Which ones did you get, Allie? Felix Gray. Okay. Yeah. The super yeah. cute. They're yeah. cute. They may not be as like blue blocking as some of the ones that are actually orange. You've seen me with my nerdy yeah. orange ones. Yeah. Well. I couldn't go there, but I was like, you know, these, and I did the magnified ones. So my eyes don't have to stress as much. So I'll let you guys know how they work. Yes, definitely. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about the benefits of melatonin specific to sleep and why it can work for some people as a supplement. Yeah. So the cool thing to note is that it is not sedative. Um, so it helps to promote sleep by helping to regulate the circadian rhythm and the wake cycles. And we see that it can help to strengthen and improve these cycles by making it possible for the body to really physiologically adhere to these patterns, these optimal schedules or patterns of those five cycles of getting into that qualitative sleep. Um, we do find that melatonin can shorten the time it takes to fall asleep and also increase overall sleep amounts and quality. Um, and this is extremely important because it still is up as whether Ambien or Lunesta help with quality or depth of the REM sleep, which is the most important, as well as that deep level four sleep, which is that kind of reset and healing immunological phase. So we do know that melatonin specifically helps with those. So that's also kind of where I was like, you know, I'm looking at my windows one night and I was like, why aren't I taking this as a tool? Because I know I'm not producing enough melatonin. So I need to get, again, I look at supplements as how can I optimize and get my body into superhuman function? So we see benefits of uh, melatonin and being able to optimize and increase REM sleep cycle, which can help with all of the benefits of sleep that we mentioned. Um, Best people that would need this as a fit are people that have any shift work, um, people that are taking any other blood pressures that can drive low melatonin, like the blood pressure medications we mentioned, ADHD medication, anyone on Vyvanse, Adderall, or any of those stimulants should be taking melatonin to counteract the influence. Absolutely. Um, people experiencing hormonal changes. Again, if you're not able to go through the cost and the expense of looking into estrogen and progesterone, it's definitely safer to supplement with melatonin versus to shoot in the dark with a hormone. Um, so I would definitely recommend that. And um, people that are experiencing 
issues with their circadian rhythm in general. And then even children, um, especially we see autism and ADHD and developmental disorders, that especially children that are on those medications or just struggling with a non-medicated melatonin can be a big tool in helping with even behavioral and concentration and focus throughout the day. Awesome. And then there are also benefits beyond sleep. So we've spoken to a couple of times now the potential cancer adjuvant therapies, um, but let's speak to a couple of the other real quick benefits beyond sleep. Yeah. So it actually, the melatonin functions as an antioxidant, which is pretty amazing. So it has huge influence on healthy brain function and anti-aging properties or protecting the cells of the brain from damage. So as an antioxidant, it reduces oxidative damage. And when we're talking about Alzheimer's as a disease of neurodegenerative function, even um, looking at things like MS, multiple sclerosis, Parkinson's, any neurological disease, melatonin can help as a powerful antioxidant to protect damage in the area of the brain and central nervous system. So it, it can be protective beyond that area as an antioxidant, even in the cardiovascular system. And that's one of the connections of, again, across the board, why lack of sleep, because remember, lack of sleep means lack of melatonin. So if you're not sleeping eight hours, you might also consider supplementing with melatonin to at least offset that lack of natural melatonin that you're getting expressed. Um, and optimal melatonin means optimal antioxidant status. So that's why we saw more mortality or death in general beyond cancer, heart disease, and Alzheimer's, all connecting a lot because of that antioxidant property. Awesome. And then even, you know, in autism spectrum disorder, I found it really interesting that um, many children with autism spectrum disorders and, and ADHD actually have abnormalities in their yes. natural melatonin levels. Yeah. And, and even beyond the medication interaction, like we talked about, you know, if you're on Ritalin or Vyvanse or um, Adderall, that's going to absolutely suppress melatonin production. So absolutely, that's someone that needs melatonin in a supplemental level. And then for autism spectrum, yes, there was definitely abnormalities seen with lower concentrations of nighttime melatonin, even independent of medication interaction. And that abnormality could drive with the cognitive, behavioral, and brain dysfunction. So huge, important piece of the puzzle and important reason of why your kiddos need to sleep in the dark, you guys. You know, I had um, a client and, um, you know, have seen kiddos that they're afraid of the dark and so they're sleeping with the lights on. It's like, no, their brain needs the dark. Mm -hmm. um, and then quick, some other benefits that I'll just kind of list off of, of melatonin on its own as a benefit. We do see also reductions in, in age-related macular degeneration, chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, um, actually in, even in reflux. Uh, melatonin can help with that esophageal sphincter. So getting a big benefit of heartburn and reflux changes with melatonin expression. Um, irritable bowel disease and um, irritable bowel syndrome and inflammatory bowel disease. Uh, menopause, as mentioned, metabolic syndrome with cardiometabolic and also diabetic risk, and then migraines and headaches for sure. So, so many benefits and a lot of things I didn't even know about, which makes me want to go back and try melatonin again. <laughs> I am someone who experiences the like extreme grogginess sleep hangover, stony feeling, like to the extreme where I don't know that I could go to work the next day after taking it, but I've only played with it 
a few times in recent history. So maybe I was just taking too much. And has that been with our sleep support formula or just a melatonin pill? And It was this sleep support a long time before we even private labeled it. It was a long time ago. And I think I must have started definitely with two, two of them. And I may have also not given myself the full eight hours to sleep. Oh, like you so took another like two a.m. Yeah. yeah. So that's the thing is, right. And, and the other thing that's really important to mention, and I do actually, I'll take it at midnight sometimes. Um, if I'm like, oh, damn, I was really crushing on this fill in the blank. I was crushing on this blog or whatever. And I was in really like rampant intensity mode. And I need that on top of things. And I, I do fine with it, but also our difference to share. Um, if you, I, I don't think you mind Becky. So I'll say I don't it. mind at all. Please. Um, <laughs> is that you have such low cortisol levels and such low adrenal output, right? So someone that's dealing with chronic fatigue syndrome and pretty flatline cortisol and low DHEA levels, probably melatonin would be too much for them. But someone like me <laughs> that deals with still peaks in cortisol and I'm kind of more of the ah intensity needs that, you know? So again, it really depends on foundationally the individual. Yes, that makes so much sense and just my personal story with it because I was always like, I have to give this bottle away. I can't. Because your adrenals already are still like, ah, so, <laughs> puffing know, out maybe, air. Maybe if I took it at like 9 p.m. and gave myself until 9 a.m. the next day to fully recover. Um, yeah, maybe it's a good uh, weekend tool for just getting a deep one night, deep, deep, deep 10-hour sleep for reset. And then for you, it's probably not a good weekday tool or uh -oh. tool when you want that rebound because you still need that adrenal recovery. But for anyone that has high stress output, I think it would definitely be a good tool. And then, you know, other people, be mindful if you do experience dizziness or headache or daytime sleepiness to consider a different stool, a different tool, excuse me, over a different stool, <laughs> a different tool um, over melatonin. And, and that's where something maybe like CBD or maybe working with um, probiotic to help with production of serotonin would all be a better first line element. But again, if anyone is on the um, excitatory medications or knows that they have higher cortisol, this is a definite add-on. Yes. And then uh, something else to speak to is, as you mentioned, some of the supplements out there can be up to like 10 milligrams of melatonin. Yeah. So again, starting slow. And then what do you think, Allie, about use in children? So it can be a good tool. Again, sleep, I think sleep outweighs almost everything. You know, it really does. Getting qualitative sleep. So if we're talking about a child that deals with chronic insomnia, you could first start with a nervine herbal blend of safe nervines like chamomile. Um, you know, and nervines are herbs that help you to relax. Chamomile and other safe for children nervines, as well as magnesium, the relax and regulate powder, would be my first line of defense for children. Then I would consider melatonin if it's chronic. Um, again, I like to even personally cycle melatonin to help to ensure that my body gets that acetyl serotonin production, which is that conversion from serotonin to melatonin. So working the biopathways in the body and the building block versus just giving the end product does help and there is importance to that. So I like to make a mention of that. And that's the concern about using it chronically with children. But again, if a child isn't sleeping, I would start with nervines, follow with um, magnesium and make sure they're on a good quality multivitamin like our uh, BioAvail kids. And then I would say, okay, let's start playing with some melatonin. Awesome. I think that's a super helpful tool for 
occasional use, at least Mm -hmm. in kiddos. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's talk about some of these other supplements that we've alluded to, to support sleep and kind of how they would play into the puzzle of insomnia. Sure. So sleep support is the first one I'll talk about because I think I've kind of already alluded that it is a uh, tablet-based formula and it is a blend of nerve beans, which are herbs that are relaxing. Um, And so it's a combination of Chinese skullcap, passion flower, um, lemon balm, and valerian root and hops. And then that's blended with a ratio of calcium to magnesium at a one to two ratio, which is supported for conduction and relaxation of neurological impulse. It's a low dose, though, I will say, of calcium and magnesium. So you don't think of this as a calcium or magnesium supplement. It's just helping on that ratio level with the nervines. And then it does have, like I said, three milligrams of melatonin for two tablets. Um, and I'm a pretty intensive can, can be stress ball, can be up late, and I've never needed more than one. And I noticed absolute effects. Um, so I find it to be a really fantastic tool in my artillery. The next one I would mention is the relax and regulate. And that would probably be my first line of defense, though, before you would go to the sleep support formula. And this is that magnesium glycinate and inositol. So inositol is a cousin of the B vitamin family that helps with the neurotransmitter balance. And then the magnesium bisglycinate I mentioned helps with reduction of cortisol, helps with actually REM cycle of sleep, and helps to work as melatonin if you have low melatonin function while your body is working the process of rebuilding. I also would ensure that for an adult, you're taking the multi-defense, which is a qualitative multivitamin that has things like zinc and has um, you know all the vitamins and minerals that we've discussed, as well as the B vitamins in their methylated form, which is super important. And you might consider for the kiddos, the BioAvail Kids, which is the equivalent in a chewable tablet form for ages three and up. And that would be a first line of defense for kiddos, followed by Relax and Regulate. And then um, I also mentioned CBD. Um, which is a compound from cannabis. This has no psychoactive influence, so it has zero. Well, it can if it's in a hybrid formula, but the CBD that I recommend, and I will put a link in the show notes of a brand that I like, um, this is 100% CBD, so it has zero THC. It doesn't have any psychoactive influence. Um, will not get you high, quote unquote, but it will help with GABA expression, deep relaxation, and has incredible neuroregenerative influence and immunological support. And then the last thing I'd recommend is potentially looking into bioidentical progesterone. I like that in a transdermal cream, but that is not something I'd recommend unless you've done a neurohormone complete plus panel to see where your status is. Yes, and I can definitely speak to the, I use the relax and regulate the CBD and the progenza. And I think the layer of the CBD was like the final piece to the puzzle to getting that really deep qualitative sleep when I do get it. (laughs) And your damn blinds that I'm jealous of and need to get. Yeah, that too. (laughs) We've been like all things sleep hygiene over here. I don't know if I've told you about Byron's alarm clock. Yes. (laughs) He has this clock that mimics the natural, you know, rhythm of the sunrise that's supposed to help with your melatonin production too. It's a um, crescendo, right? Yeah. It just feels (laughs) like someone's shining a light in your eyeballs. I'm like, oh, this is terrible. But Especially when he has to get up hours before you. Yes. 
Exactly. So it doesn't work very well for me, but the CBD has been awesome, I have to say. Cool. Cool. And are you doing a flavored one or a non-flavored? I'm doing the lavender at like night. The lavender too. And the lavender yeah. formula from Select, um, which we'll put a link in our show notes, yes. um, has also skull cap in it. And I believe valerian. So that's what's really cool is they do these hybrid formulas. So like the daytime CBD that I take has turmeric and uh, ginger and lemon. And then um, sometimes I'll do the daytime peppermint, which has ashwagandha. So you can blend in nervines and adaptogens with that compound to get a really good synergistic influence. Yes, it's awesome. I finally have convinced my mother to even try it. She's like, okay, if you're sure I'm not going to get high. (laughs) Is this from the weed? Yes. And if you're curious, uh, we do have a podcast episode out about CBD as well. So I'll make sure we I think it's 71, I think, or 72. I think you are probably right. You're good at that. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk recipes and food before we wrap up. So um, some awesome ideas. One that Becky just put out uh, that is like mouthwateringly delicious uh, recently is the rack of lamb with the cherry mint glaze. Um, or is that a different one? That is, that's the new, yeah. that was out for Easter. So yep, I did yep, it yep. days before Easter. It's just the little lamb lollipops with like a super yummy cherry glaze. And it reminds me a lot of the pan-seared sirloin actually. In oh, which is in the, with the cherry glaze. Yes. Yeah. So cherries are a great form of melatonin actually. Um, so really great food as medicine support for sleep. Um, we also have a cherry and Nirvana smoothie on the blog that you can check out, which could be a great kind of dessert or nightcap. Um, oats help a lot as well for melatonin. Um, Avena sativa is the herbal name and actually uses a nervine herb as well. Oat pod with a lot of clients, especially clients that have neurological disease, especially like MS. Um, oat pod can help as a nervine to reduce neurological impulse. So oats themselves can be helpful. Or if you're doing a ketogenic diet, you could use oat pod as a tincture. And then um, bananas help with serotonin production, which in turn helps with melatonin. And then walnuts and pineapple are other melatonin-supporting foods. So beyond the rack of lamb and the, the steak we mentioned and the smoothie, our raw walnut fudge could be another good tool for the walnuts in there. I would recommend having it earlier in the day because some people, the cacao, because it does have caffeine in it, could be something that could hinder sleep. So just try to have that later in the day. Upping your fat in general, healthy fats. So your coconut oil, your coconut milk, ghee, grass-fed butter, avocados are going to be great support to be very grounding. And then focusing on if you're dealing with keto and sleep disturbance has happened once you're three months or deeper into keto, you might want to play with some carb cycling at night. That can definitely help with the serotonin expression and melatonin conversion. And a favorite recipe of mine from the Naturally Nourished Cookbook is our warming poached pears in coconut milk. It is fantastic. Um, And then you might also try using fat bombs, which we have in our Eat Fat Get Skinny uh, ebook, which is our ketogenic kind of recipe ebook. Effect Skinny is an awesome resource and it has fat bombs, which you can blend into teas. So you could do a fat bomb like our lime in the coconut fat bomb blended with chamomile um, or an herbal relaxing tea blend with lemon balm or valerian and whip it up like a, a fat fueled latte in the evening and sipping on that. And you might even add uh, 30 milligrams or an ML of CBD in there and have a really nice relaxing evening tonic. And then the last thing I'd recommend would be bone broth. Bone broth can also be a very nourishing 
sipping mug um, type delivery or to use that in your evening's meal, like as a base of a soup. Bone broth actually helps with L-glutamine um, as a tool to support gut lining, but also glutamine. As I mentioned, GABA, uh, GABA can be built from glutamate. Um, so glutamine can also help in GABA um, influence in the brain, and that's that main inhibitory compound. And before I lose my train of thought, Becky, I know we're running over, but I wanted to mention and make sure we add in our sleep support area also GABA Calm Chews. Yes. Um, oh, yeah. Because we, you know, we kind of overscoped that. So, you know, we talked about how GABA and serotonin are super important. GABA Calm is a chewable form of GABA that can have a almost immediate, about 15 minutes influence on our impulse. Um, impulsivity and our stress response. So taking that before public speaking or anxiety inducing times like traffic or rush hour, it is non-sedative, but it helps with relaxation. And GABA can also be a tool taken in the evening time to help to wind down leading into trying to get into that sleep mode. So that's another one that I would definitely recommend. Yes. Good call. And it won't put you to sleep per se or knock you right. out. Non-sedative. Yeah. Yeah, more of that wind down. Um, so let's just throw out a couple of recommendations to wrap things up of some lifestyle support. I know we talked about the the much coveted blackout curtains. Um, yes. What are, what are like your top three items to highlight here for lifestyle support and how to get that sleep routine going? Yeah. So practicing what I call sleep hygiene is super important. So whether that means you have to actually set a bedtime alarm um, or a timer on your TV or laptop to literally shut it down, you definitely want to play with the setting of your laptop if you have to work late to put it on a mode where the screen has less blue light. There's a lot of different apps for that. And then you definitely would want to consider blue blocker glasses um, as an important tool to reduce the blue light emissions so that you, your brain can start to get a little bit of melatonin production or stop that melatonin blockage. Um, so the screen time is really important and helpful and definitely my personal Achilles heel as far as melatonin and, um, and sleep. And it just <laughs> is. I just have too many things to do and just where I'm at. But another thing that I do I do do well is um, using a foam roller. So I will, um, I, I have a shutdown time and this might be disgustingly late, but at 10.15, after I've been working on my laptop since pretty much I got Stella down, I will go and at 10.15, before 10.30 is my deadline, I will take my uh, scoop and a half of relax and regulate and my GI lining powder and my probiotics and um, I uh, do some foam rolling. And then I might still have to work a little bit later, um, but at least I start that ritual. And um, I do about five minutes of foam rolling on my back and hips and try to relax that neuromuscular area. And then um, right before bed is when I'll take my CBD and um, if needed, the, the cream of my progesterone or, or the um, uh, sleep support supplement. Um, a white noise machine can be really helpful if, if we need ambient noise or just kind of the, the blocking noise, especially if there's dogs or things that are waking us up throughout the night, neighbors, who knows. And beyond the foam rolling, you might consider a bath with candles. Epsom salt bath would be awesome because then you're getting that magnesium expression in the body. Oil pulling can be really great. Actually exhausting the mandible or the jaw, that can release the tension in the jaw, which can help with teeth grinding. So a great um, supporter there. And then getting exposure to sunlight during the day would be really amazing as well um, to help with that natural production and just that reset of our circadian rhythm. 
Yes. And then I think one last one I want to call out um, that's made a big difference for us. We've really done everything to make our bedroom so conducive to sleep. And it happens sometimes and sometimes it doesn't. But um, an essential oil diffuser, especially lavender essential oil is so, so helpful. Mm -hmm. And let's link, we just uh, reset our Amazon store. So I welcome you all check out um, our Amazon store. If you go to our website under the shop, there's going to be a a tab you can click on or in today's show notes. um, And we'll probably be putting some other links up. Um, And I think it's probably Googleable. I'm not sure, Becky, if you can look like Allie Miller Amazon store, but um, we will be putting some of these resources on there. We'll try to find a good pair of blue blocker glasses and definitely a good couple diffusers. In a yeah, I've got a diffuser up there. So I'll, I'll link some of our favorite oils as well. And I'll add some blue blockers for you guys to check out. Yeah. And if you're going to get it anyway, you know, you do vote with your dollars. So the best way that you can support our show, if you guys learn stuff and find this valuable, the best way you can support us is of course, by using some of the links in the show notes. And um, if you're going to buy a product anyway, and it's the same price, might as well get it through our avenue so that that can support us as affiliates and keep us putting out all this awesome free information. Awesome. So that's all for today. I know it was a mega episode jam-packed with information. So hopefully we've given you guys some ideas of what might be causing your sleep disturbance in the first place and what you can do about it using supplements, food as medicine, and lifestyle support to get ahead of and address insomnia. So as always, thank you so much for tuning in. Please be sure to leave us a five-star review on iTunes so we can continue to spread the food as medicine knowledge. Thanks for listening. And I hope you all have the most amazing night of sleep tonight ever. (laughs) Take care. Catch us next time. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.